everyone, and welcome to Risky Business 2. I'm Patrick Gray, uh, and this one is a sponsor podcast. Symantec sponsors the RB2 podcast, so once a month we get one of their staff on the line to talk about industry trends, malware, whatever really, uh, pretty much about whatever's going on. And today we're speaking with Vincent Weefer, Symantec's Director of Security Response. Now, regular listeners of Risky.biz podcasts would have heard me tonking on a lot about patch management lately, and in particular the moves by large security vendors like McAfee, Trend, and Symantec, uh, the big three, uh, moves by those big three into that space, into the patch management and PC lifecycle management space. McAfee and Trend have licensed technology from Big Fix, and Symantec is integrating technology from its uh, Alteris acquisition into its endpoint security products as we speak. Now that, I think, is an interesting trend, and one that I personally think will have some meaningful implications for enterprise security. For one, patch management will all of a sudden be a capability uh, that the security teams have, and it won't just be something that the desktop teams are in control of. Um, So, you know, the guys and girls who get around to patching stuff every 45 days or so in those desktop teams will actually have a bit of competition from the security guys who all of a sudden have these tools available to them. But yeah, I know in a lot of organizations, they've already invested pretty heavily in patch management, but a lot of them haven't. And this kind of means, you know, the moves by these big security companies kind of means that they'll wind up with that capability by default because it'll be baked into those products. So interesting. So I thought I'd talk about this with Vincent, who sheds light on the trend from a vendor perspective. Uh, And as you'll hear, I also talked malware with him, Uh, everything from the Zeus botnet to uh, the media's current favorite, Aurora. Enjoy. A system which is unmanageable is not going to be a protected system. So looking at the Alteris technology, being able to manage the environment, being able to push out security patches, updates, is critical. It's critical to every organization. And we all know the more complex the organization, the more patches that are available, the more it becomes critical to the organization to understand what's applied, what state they're in, and which of the, of the potential patches should apply today tomorrow versus next week, next month. And so we've all identified that as a critical part of enterprise protection, in fact, even endpoint protection, and making sure that we've got the right applications and the right structures to deliver on that. It's interesting, isn't it, that it's actually taken until now before security companies, you know, not just Symantec, but all of the major players are moving in this direction. Previously, things like patch and version management have been seen, uh, you know, to be part of the domain of companies like CA and IBM and just part of general systems management. And And it seems now that the security industry is sort of moving in on that space because they need that capability to ensure you know, compliance with patch levels and stuff. Are you surprised that it's taken this long for the security industry to make this move? Well, I think we would certainly argue that we've been in the space for many, many years now, of course, with the BindView acquisition and even before that, to accent, we had the ESM vulnerability compliance and manageability suites. What is different, of course, is back then you were largely assuming that the management infrastructures that were delivered by CA, by Microsoft and others were the primary means of managing and deploying these patches out the systems. Whereas today, I think people are looking for more flexible options. Alteris is a great way of getting out to 
medium to large enterprises. And of course, we're increasingly getting involved in that side of the business to help the people deploy it, to understand the state of manageability. And that's also a sign that people are really trying to simplify their environments. They're not using different tools. They're trying to really integrate their view of their network so they can understand their risks and how to deliver it out to their endpoints. Well, this is the thing that I find interesting here is the integration angle and the fact that it's being integrated with, you know, what is in essence an AV and, you know, HID solution or whatever, the endpoint security suite that has, uh, you know, frankly, it has evolved from being a plain antivirus, uh, you know, engine and then it's had bits and pieces added to it. Now, one thing that occurred to me is that one of the reasons these acquisitions and, and, and integrations are looking to be successful because, I mean, you know, you look at any single uh, vendor that competes with you guys and they, they look like they're doing the same thing. It strikes me that one of the reasons this is actually starting to stick is that the groups that manage desktop AV within a large organization are likely to be uh, a, a, the same group that is responsible for patch management. I mean, is that one of the reasons you think that this particular marriage uh, between sort of AV, de you know, desktop endpoint security solutions and patch management seems to be working? I believe it is, because I think, of course, it is based on our customers and their organization. And when I started off in the business 10 years ago, they were very distinct. So AV administrators were distinct. They they just managed AV. It was very complicated in their environments. Over the years, they've definitely merged. IT today is wearing multiple hats, and particularly IT security are involved in patch management, compliance, um, endpoint protection, gateway protection. So they're having to do multiple things. They want us to simplify their environment. They don't want to have different management consoles, different tools, different systems. And so they're looking and the customers are driving the sort of integration that you're seeing today because, of course, it makes their jobs a lot easier for us. In addition to that, they also want to know where there's overlap. So if I can give a intrusion prevention or antivirus signature, which protects against an exploit, that means they can take a little bit more time applying the patch themselves. So all of this is connected together. It's not distinct questions. They're very much integrated in terms of how they look at the environment and what they're looking for from the vendors. Yeah, I think I uh, joked on a recent podcast with Adam Bilo uh, that, uh, you know, if we take all of these technologies that are 50% effective and actually use all of them, they start actually looking effective by the time that's all done. You know, the, the, the typical defense in-depth uh, proposition. It really is defense in-depth. And when we look at the targeted attacks, we look at the broad-based attacks, it really is the layer defenses, you know, the combinations of spam, phishing, fraud, network security, intrusion prevention. But, but on top of that comes compliance and policy management. How have you set up your environment? How open is it? What controls do you have? Whether your users have administrative access rights or not? All of these things are strong factors towards how strong a protection you have in place. Okay. Well, look, moving on to other stuff, uh, Vincent, and it's been a hell of an interesting three months for people in the malware industry. We've seen this, uh, what is it, this U-SpotNet kick up with about 75,000 uh, nodes. I'm not quite sure why that one's making such big news because I thought 75,000 is kind of, you know, on the puny side for a botnet uh, these days. I mean, sad to say, but, it, you know, there's a lot of screaming headlines about it. Is there something particularly alarming about this one? I mean, can it, can it kill you or something? <laughs> Why is the media obsessed with this one? I think from our point of view, it, it's just Zeus back again. Of course, Zeus has been around for many years at this stage. Uh, it definitely goes and contains. In other words, it's a well-maintained. And the thing about the Zeus which makes it distinctive is, of course, it's really a toolkit. 
And so as people pick up the toolkit, it's, it's a web-enabled botnet. It's very easy to do. It's very easy to deploy. But it doesn't come included with it a delivery mechanism. So each group who pick up the Zeus Trojan will have their own campaigns, their own updates. And that's where you see these aggressive campaigns coming and going over time. And what really got the attention last week was, of course, the the Kerbner one, which actually talked about Pacific uh, customers are impacted by it. And that was by a particular group. So it was aggressive. It looked like it impacted a number of enterprises. It got a lot of attention. But the underlying Trojan Zeus is one we've seen in a long time. It's been out there. It goes after credentials. And it's certainly something which will be there tomorrow and next week and next month. Now, the other big news, of course, since last time we spoke was this Aurora botnet, which seems to have owned every man and his dog. Uh, did it surprise you that that malware was able to uh, uh, entrench itself so deeply inside these organizations that you'd imagine would have pretty good controls? Uh, and, you know, it was able to do that in a stealthy way. Was that a surprise to you? It's not a surprise uh, in the sense that your challenge with any large network, any large environment, is you're dealing with all of the constant attacks. It's not as if they get attacked once a month. They're seeing literally thousands of attacks per day in terms of malware, phishing, fraud, and everything else going against their networks. If you've got an adversary who's willing to spend months or in some cases years understanding their victims, targeting the attacks, literally handcrafted messages which are used to try and infiltrate inside your environment, become trusted, and then infiltrate over a long period of time, you can understand how it's possible for these type of attacks to get in. So it really is a challenge. And I think there is definitely a signal here that the sort of targeted attacks, we've, we've always associated them with government, defense contractors, the very high end. Clearly, we're now starting to see them very much in the mainstream uh, industry, high-tech industry. But to be honest, we actually do believe more of this is going on at the medium size as well. So companies who are in the small to, to medium size scale, except they're not aware of us. And I think that's really the wake-up call here, which is we believe a lot more this is occurring. It's just not commonly known about and certainly not discovered in the same way that Zeus campaigns are. They're noisy. They're focused. There's a lot of people getting impacted at the same time. These ones are the complete opposite. Well, I think in this case, it's very much the notion that you used to say you were attacked because you were anonymous and the attacker didn't know you. Everything we've seen in the last couple of years says that not just are targeting certain victims because of the knowledge of their information and proprietary, but even on the consumer level, we're even seeing more and more, call it marketing, segmentation of the markets. I'm going after you on um, Facebook because I know you've got a certain profile and because I know who your likely contacts will be. I'm going after you in another social networking because you have professional contacts. So increasingly, the attackers are getting smarter and starting to segment their victims up. I think that's something we're starting to really deal with in the market today. You know, what's funny is that whole ID theft thing through social networks that a lot of people warned about, you know, sort of three or four years ago. I, I never really bought that, to be honest. Um, but as a as a way of actually infecting people with mad, malware and, and launching spear phishing attacks and things like that, it's proven to be very effective. Um, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's mind-blowing. And we, we so we we saw the same sort of idea occurring on in some ways on emails. I'm going after your your email context. More so, we saw it with instant messaging because of course instant messaging you don't have hundreds of contacts. You tend to have dozens. And so social networking was just an extension of that. You've got a trusted network. If I really want to attack inside an organization, once I get one person and get on their trusted network, then it's more effective. Then I don't need to worry about the same degrees of folks coming anonymously from outside. 
And I think it's just nature. The attackers see it as effective. They know this is the way we operate. We trust our direct contacts. And so we're going to see more of this going forward in the future. Yeah, well, I mean, one of my favorite penetration testing anecdotes is, uh, you know, here in Australia, a team, I can't, look, I honestly can't remember who it was. Uh, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'd love to be able to give you a plug right now, but I can't remember who it was. But what they did is they set up a uh, face, uh, they infiltrated the Facebook group for the company they were doing a penetration test on. They created a Facebook account for this, you know, rather attractive 20-something-year-old uh, chick you know, who didn't exist in accounts, made a whole bunch of friends, joined the group, you know, became very active and then sent around a message, um, you know, along the lines of, hey, you know, we've got to change our VPN passwords or something. They got something like six logins in 10 minutes. And then from there, uh, were able to compromise the rest of the organization very, very quickly. So yeah, interesting stuff. If anything, you know, it tells me that companies should actually, instead of trying to just blanket ban social networking, which is never going to work, they should actually look at trying to control it and appointing administrators to make sure that their interactions through social networking are appropriate and, uh, and uh, secure. You know, if someone's joining that group, make sure they actually work for the company. No, absolutely. I think there's so many things you can do. So clearly, you know, one of the things we're concerned about is with many of these messages, the links associated with them. So if you're using proxies, you can clearly look to see whether the links uh, that are coming to them are valid or the malicious. There are a number of technology and other tools can be used, but you still need the policy. You still need the education, warn people. Um, but of course, people are not perfect and they can be socially engineered. Mm-mm. All right, Vincent, that's all we're going to have time for today, mate. But thank you very much, as always, for joining us on Risky Business 2. You're very welcome. Thank you so much.